Hi, family. Thanks so much for joining us tonight for our midweek service. We're going to be looking at the book of Zechariah, chapter 11 tonight. Now, if you haven't been able to follow along with every message, you can go right online and um, you can get all of the messages, listen to them at your leisure. But I do try to preach each message where it's a standalone message. In other words, you don't need to have heard the rest of the messages to follow along with each message because I try to write them where they'll stand independently of one another. But if you go back and listen to them all the way through, then you'll see the stream. Now, this chapter tonight is a very heavy, controversial chapter. There's a lot going on here. This is one of those prophetic chapters all the way through. Now, unlike some other parts of the book of Zechariah, we may not know exactly how to classify all of these historically, but we know prophetically they will be fulfilled, and I'll try to get to that through them. You're going to see some, another huge reference to the ministry of Christ. Remember I told you that Zechariah contains more actual messianic prophecies than any of the other ones, and also that Jesus quoted from Zechariah more than any other book in the Bible. So let's have prayer tonight, and then we're going to jump right into this. Our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you. And Lord, we have an advantage over lost people. We have an advantage over even scholars who do not profess a faith in you. For Lord, you have promised to give to your people who would ask you. You have promised to open their hearts and give them understanding and insight into the word of the Lord. I ask you tonight to do that for us as we go through and study chapter 11 tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this is an illustrated sermon. Zechariah is actually going to act this sermon out. And as we go through the chapter, I'm not going to read you the whole chapter like we normally do. I've tried to break it up some. It's only 17 verses, but it's dense. Have you ever had a, a slice of cake that was real dense and real rich, and you go, wow, I can't eat this whole slice right now? If you go to Big Bear and get a slice of their chocolate cake, one slice of their chocolate cake would feed my whole family of six when we would go down there. I have to be honest, I still wanted a little more, but, you know, we shared it with six people in our family. But it was a dense, rich cake. This is a dense, rich chapter tonight that we're going to look at. It's a chapter of judgment. It's a chapter of comfort. And so the very first thing that I put into your outline tonight is that God announces judgment in these first three verses. So let's look at that together tonight. Open your doors, Lebanon, so that fire may devour your cedar forest. Weep, you cypress trees, for all the ruined cedars, the most majestic ones have fallen. Weep, you oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest have been cut down. And listen to the wailing of the shepherds, for their rich pastures are destroyed. Hear the young lions roaring, for their thickets in the Jordan Valley are ruined. God is speaking to Israel here. These three words that I've underlined in your outline tonight, Lebanon, Bashan, and the Jordan Valley, this encompasses all of Israel. Remember, Israel was a divided kingdom before the diaspora, Jordan, excuse me, Israel and Judah. Now he's encompassing the whole nation of Israel because one of the things that God has promised, if you remember from the previous messages, is that God is going to join the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom back together as the family that they were supposed to be. 
Now, the controversy is, are these trees talking about nature or are they talking about leaders? This is my opinion. You're free to disagree with this if you want to. There are a lot of scholars who agree with me. There are some scholars who don't agree with me. I'm right, they're wrong. No, I'm teasing. It's just one of those things we can't be for sure. Some scholars say, well, this is just talking about nature. That may be true. Because unlike the prophecies in the book of Daniel, where we were able to identify the nations, and unlike some of the prophecies we've already looked at, we're able to identify the nations, we're not able to identify which of these kingdoms they were. I'll tell you who I think it was a little later in the message. But because leaders are often referred to as trees in the Bible, and the cedar tree being the most valuable tree, because leaders are, and I can, we can talk about that later, cedar trees are often referred to as leaders. I believe this is speaking to the leaders of the nations, to the shepherds of the nations. So God's announcing judgment to the nation and to the leaders of the nations. So number two, God tells Zechariah, he says, I want you to act out prophetically this message, the shepherd and the sheep. So Zechariah is going to do, if we were to say it in modern, modern parlance, we would say he's going to do an illustrated sermon. You may have seen somebody do that before where like we've had a guest here before where he puts on a costume and does a message. It's an illustrated message. It's a dramatic presentation. Well, that's what God has Zechariah to do. He's going to preach an illustrated message. Now, this is perhaps the message that leads up to the martyr of Zechariah, because if you remember, Jesus will talk to them about, talk to Israel about how they murdered Zechariah. So this, like I said, it's a dense message, it's a judgment message, but it's a message also of hope. So let's begin. This is what the Lord my God says, go and care for the flock that is intended for slaughter. The buyers slaughter their sheep without remorse. The sellers say, praise the Lord, now I'm rich. And even the shepherds have no compassion for them. This is talking about the leaders of God's people. The leaders of God's people are so compassionless, they're like a shepherd who doesn't care anything for his sheep. He's unlike the good shepherd that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, but he just simply cares nothing for them. He wants to slaughter them and walk away counting his money, saying that I'm rich. This is why I don't believe it's speaking to nature. I believe he's speaking to the rulers of the people. Maybe they've made promises and says, if you'll vote for me, this is what I'll do. If you'll support me, this is what I'll do. And all the while, what they were doing was trying to profit off of the leadership that God had delegated to them. I wrote one of our new leaders in the community yesterday. And in my letter to him, I, I just wrote to him that the Bible says that God raises up leaders and God gives us leaders after our own hearts. And I was praying for him that God would give him good success as he led in our community, as he led with vision, and as he led with integrity. Now, notice what God says in the next verse as we pick up, because this is shocking. This is shocking. Likewise, this is the Lord speaking, I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, says the Lord. I will let them fall into each other's hands and into the hands of their king, they will turn the land into a wilderness, and I will not rescue them. So I cared for the flock intended for slaughter, the flock that was oppressed. God is saying that because the people have turned his back upon him, 
Because even though God has restored the people back to the land, and how many times, maybe in our own lives, God has forgiven us of our sins, and we've gone right back to that same sin. You know, God is saying, but now this is continuing all over again. You're breaking my covenants all over again. And we know this is going to happen. And I, I think you're going to be able to see how this ties together because I believe this is all prophetically about our Lord. So then in the message, Zechariah goes on and he says, Then I took two shepherd's staffs and I named one of them favor. The favor was God's favor upon Israel. That's what that was about. I named one of them favor. God had given favor to Israel. How many of you would say God has given favor to the United States in times past? He really has. And the other union, Judah and Israel reunited as a family. God brought them. They had been at war with each other. How many of you can remember a time when our nation, maybe you can't remember, but you know from our history, our nation broke with one another and brother fought brother in the war between the states and God healed our nation. And oftentimes when I see the Congress praying together or singing God bless America together or America the beautiful, I'm reminded of this very passage that the favor we enjoy in this nation, it's because of God's goodness. Let's don't take that for granted and break covenant with the Lord. He goes on to say, now Zechariah is in the message. He says, I got rid of three evil shepherds in a single month. I believe that's prophetic speak. He got rid of a prophet. He got rid of a priest and he got rid of a king. Those are three shepherds. And one evident, now again, this is what I think it's saying. I may be wrong on this, but the best that I've been able to study from Zechariah, I believe this is referring to the office of prophet, priest, and king. You've got to remember, we're at the next to the last book of the Bible. And after Malachi, there was 400 years of silence until John the Baptist came preaching. So the prophetic ministry was gone. You've got to remember, Israel was overthrown, and any kings that were there were puppet kings. And you've got to remember the priesthood became corrupt. And so that's why I look at this and I see God's getting rid of, and he describes them as evil shepherds. These are evil leaders. These are people that are supposed to care for the flock, but they're not caring for the flock. But I became impatient. Now listen, I became impatient with these sheep and they hated me too. So now Zechariah is preaching. He says, I've gotten tired. The people aren't listening. The people aren't doing what they're doing. He says, I got impatient with them. And guess what? They got impatient with me. And anybody that's ever been in a leadership position, you can understand that. If you've ever been a parent, you can understand that, you know. How many times have I heard a parent say, I could snatch a knot in their head, you know. Because we, we, we try to get our kids to understand and obey, and sometimes they rebel. So I told them, Zechariah says, so I told them, I won't be your shepherd any longer. I said, I'm just, I'm quitting. I'm giving up. If you die, you die. If you're killed, you're killed. And let those who remain devour each other. Now, that's pretty brutal, don't you think? Could you imagine us getting at so odds that I would say that to our congregation? I can't imagine that in my lifetime. And yet, I've seen it happen in church splits. I've seen it happen where Churches have devoured one another, gossiping about each other, dividing their families. I had to go into a major church split when I was in district office, and I can remember the people just fighting and calling names with each other. I can remember having to, to moderate a, a church split here in Michigan that our district office asked me to go and intervene, and I, 
And I finally just stopped the meeting and threatened to just bring the church under district supervision unless this stopped. I said, you've worshiped together. You've knelt in the altars together. How can you sin against God and one another like this? So don't ever think that it's possible for us not to allow bitterness or deception to get in our hearts. Let's guard what God has given us. And the reason I say that is I've seen it happen so many times and I find myself daily praying, Lord, we want your favor. We want your union. We want to guard and protect what you've given us here at Woodland. So then I took my staff called favor and I cut it in two, showing that I had revoked the covenant I had made with all the nations. Now, this is God. That was the end of my covenant with them. Stop. Israel's protection was because of God's covenant. Do you remember Sunday morning? I made a, if you were in the first service, I'm not sure I brought it out in the second service. But do you remember Sunday morning in my message about the Holy Spirit? I talked about how the Holy Spirit was oftentimes illustrated as rain. And God says, if you live for me, if you do my words, I will cause the rains to fall upon you. If you don't, I will hold the rains back. In Egypt, there was a constant stream of water called the Nile. But where Israel was, there was no great rivers like that that would water the land and feed the people. So they depended upon rain. God is in control of nature. God is also in control of politics. And so when God says, I'm removing my favor, the union is broken, he's revoking the covenant. What was that covenant? That he would protect his people. That was the end of my covenant with them, and the suffering flock was watching me, and they knew the Lord was speaking through my actions. Let's fast forward about 400 and. 50 years, maybe 400, maybe close to 500 years. But when Titus became emperor, excuse me, when Titus invaded Rome, when his father became emperor, became the Caesar, his father had failed to take Jerusalem. Two generals before him had failed to take Jerusalem. So when Titus's father had him to go in, they literally burned Jerusalem to the ground. The Jewish people, they fought, they fought, they fought. Thousands of Roman soldiers. In one battle, Rome left 17,000 dead Roman soldiers trying to take Jerusalem. So all these Jewish patriots had gathered weapons of war, but when Titus came in, he maintained the siege for so long, they broke through the three walls. And when they even got to the temple, you know, the people thought God would protect the temple, but that covenant had been broken. I'll illustrate that in a moment. Don't forget this. Remember, Jesus has said, when you see these things happening, you need to flee. And Eusebius, I wish Dick was here tonight because he's the only other person in the church I know that's besides myself that's read Eusebius. Eusebius records that in AD 66, that when Jerusalem was about to be taken, the Christians fled Jerusalem across the Jordan River to the city of Pella. They remembered what Jesus said. Now, the reason I bring that out is it's important for you and I in the time that we're living in, where the name of Christ is being blasphemed, where the laws of God are being flaunted, and there is a major battle taking place in the heavenlies. We need to remember what the word of the Lord is. I believe the church will prevail. I do believe that with all my heart. I believe the church will prevail. But we need to remember how important these prophecies are to our lives today. Well, when this, this kind of goes back and forth. So when Zechariah says, look, I'm done, you're done. We don't even like each other anymore. 
He goes, if you want, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Now, you may not get that. You might go, 30 pieces of silver, that's a handsome sum. No, according to Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32, that was the price of a gored slave, of an injured slave. If a bull gored your slave, then you had to pay the person that the slave loved. You had to pay them 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah's ministry was worth a whole lot more to them than that. Zechariah was the one that came along when Haggai couldn't get them all together. He rallied the nations. He rallied them around the king. He rallied them through his preaching. The people began to prosper, and then they forgot about what they had promised God, and so they counted him out 30 pieces of silver. In other words, they were saying, Pardon the way I'm going to say this. I do speak better than this. You ain't worth very much. That's exactly what they're saying. That was no love offering. Okay, you know how we receive love offerings for guest speakers? That was not a love offering. And the Lord said to me, now this is very sarcastic. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and I threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Now, you know this was prophetically fulfilled in the life of Jesus. This happened. This is that double law prophecy. It happened in space, in time, but it was also fulfilled in the law of Jesus, uh, in, the, in, the, in the gospel. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse, so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders I have sinned. I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? That's your problem. And then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple. Last week, it was the riding of the donkey. This week, it's the betrayal. Do you see what they were saying to our Savior? They were saying, you are worthless to us. You are worthless to us. And yet Jesus taught us that wonderful parable about the pearl of great price. To you and me, he is the most precious. We love him more than anyone or anything. So then, let's pick back up with Zechariah chapter 11. Then I took my other staff union and I cut it in two, showing that the bond of unity between Judah and Israel was broken. And then the Lord said to me, go again and play the part of a worthless shepherd. Now, I'm going to tell you, if there was that much tension between us, I would want to come back and preach again. But the Lord says, I want you to go back to them. And this illustrates how we'll give this nation a shepherd who will not care for those who are dying, nor look after the young, nor heal the injured, nor feed the healthy. Instead, their shepherd will eat the meat of the fattest sheep and tear off their hooves. Do you see not only the lack of love and the lack of care, but can you sense the brutality in what he's saying here? He's going to give them an antichrist. He's going to give them a shepherd, a leader that will, that will propose to be all about the people, but instead he will destroy the people. And there will come a time when there will be an antichrist. And trust me, 
I think that through time we have seen Antichrist. John says that the spirit of Antichrist in the world, there have been a number of Antichrists that have come along. I think Herod was a type of Antichrist. I think that Caesar was a type of Antichrist. I think that we've seen so many of them come along through the years, but they always end up being brutal. Herod was a magnificent builder. Herod provided jobs. The nation prospered. He knew how to diplomatically work with the people of, 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 of Israel and Rome. He knew how to balance that. But he was such an insanely insecure man. He killed his own sons. He killed his wife. He wanted people to mourn when he died. So he had so many people executed. So people would cry because he knew nobody was going to miss him. So he had him executed so there would be wailing and grief. It reminds me of some of the other dictators that have fallen throughout time. There is a brutality. And you'll pardon me for saying this, but I think that anybody that politics and plays the religion card, that they're a good Christian or a good member, and they're politicking, that we continue to, to, to make it legal to kill a baby in the womb and deny its human being, I think that's eating the fattest of the sheep and tearing off the hooves, especially when we watch those videos of how somebody says, now I can buy my Lexus or now I can do this and the brutality that's shared. What I'm trying to get you to see, friends, tonight, anything that's not built upon the word of the Lord will eventually lead to the deepest brutality that you can imagine. You say, why? How is this prophetically fulfilled? Do you remember what the Jewish people said, or actually the priests said, in John chapter 19 and verse 15? There's Jesus, and Pilate said, Behold, here's your king. Do you remember what they said? We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. And in less than 30, maybe less than 40 years, Caesar would come and burn their city to the ground and leave them devastated. Don't ever be deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. You see, good shepherds, good shepherds like Jesus, they protect, they lead people to where they can find nourishment and health and strength, and they care for their flock. You may want to write that down if it's not in your outline. What do good shepherds do? Good shepherds protect, they lead they lead to nourishment, and they care for their flock. They lead, they protect, they lead to nourishment, and they care for their flock. Evil shepherds, on the other hand, they don't protect their flock. They don't lead them to nourishment. They allow them to run wild so that they can be devoured. Because a divided flock and a wild flock is easily devoured by the wolves of the day. And like the hireling, and again, you've often heard me say, Jesus doesn't really criticize the hireling. But when the bear or the lion comes, the hireling says, you're not paying me to do this. You're not paying me to do I'm not risking my life. I'm not getting paid to risk my life. Thank God for nurses and doctors that when COVID started, they literally were willing to risk their lives going into the hospitals and caring for people. Thank God for those folks that just stepped up. Thank God for those people who worked in our grocery stores and took care of us. And, you know, I, I look around and I've seen this kind of goodness. So you see the difference between a good shepherd and an evil shepherd. 
Well, let's go on to verse 17. What sorrow awaits this worthless shepherd who abandons the flock? The sword will cut his arm and pierce his right eye. His arm will become useless and his right eye completely blind. What's God saying? This Antichrist, he will be this leader that devours the people of God. God allows him to come. Now look at me. You might ask me, why does God even allow this? Because the people rejected God. When my son or my daughter reject my counsel and maybe go out and live outside the covenant of our family, they open themselves up. Many kids get trafficked because they've run away from home. Some run away from home because they're in abusive homes. But a lot have run away from good homes because they're going to think they're going to be free. It's like the kid says, I'm tired of all these rules. I'm going to go and join the Marines. That actually happened with one of our boys here at the church. Tony came back and we had lunch at Panera Bread before they moved across the street. And we're sitting there and I says, well, Tony, tell me about the Marines. He says, Pastor, first of all, because Tony was at my house almost every night for dinner. He was like one of our kids. He said, Pastor, first of all, let me say I'm sorry. That was the stupidest thing I ever said. He said, I was just mad at my mom, and now I'm a slave to the Marines. You know, he's in more rules than ever. This shepherd, though, look, God is going to judge him. A sword will cut his arm, pierce his right. It will become, how's he going to care for the flock? How's he going to brutalize the flock anymore? God's saying he will step back in, but underneath Living underneath or living without the protection of the covenant, they will begin to see what God has done. This week I shared a, a YouTube video of someone that I've met, great pastor in New York City, Jim Cimbala. And his daughter decided she no longer wanted to be under covenant. And Jim shared this publicly and openly. Becky and I went to hear him in Florida a few years ago when we were down there. But his daughter decided she wanted nothing to do with God. She wanted nothing to do with her parents. She got addicted into drugs. She got trafficked into prostitution. And she was gone several years. And Jim and Carol didn't know where she was at, and their hearts were broken. They prayed and cried every night. And then one night, this emaciated girl, not their beautiful daughter, this emaciated girl of skin and bones showed up at the door crying, Mom, Dad, will you forgive me? And they welcomed her the way the prodigal son welcomed his son, back. the prodigal son's father welcomed him home. God restored her. God forgave her. She's doing well. She's doing great. Somebody who's having real issues with their son being a prodigal, I shared that with them, and they wrote me back this week. He says, I can't tell you how much that's encouraged us. I just hope we don't have to go this far. Listen, until you've lived outside the covenant, you just don't know how blessed the covenant is. And this is not a political statement, but many, many people in America, they don't realize that the freedoms and the privileges that we enjoy here, they're very rare in the rest of the world. And the freedoms that we have, it's because of the blessings of God, which leads me to my last point. Rejecting the Lord is a national tragedy. Rejecting the Lord is a national tragedy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible talks about how people fail to please God and they work against all humanity when they try to prevent the preaching of the gospel. 
And by doing this, they pile up their sins, but the anger of God caught up with them at last. We saw this in Germany. We saw this in Nazi Germany. The blood that was shed during the Holocaust, the, the way the people rallied around Hitler, elevated him to power. But after the war, union and favor, they were broken. Germany became two nations. East Germany went through a difficult, difficult time. West Germany went through a difficult time. But because of a change of attitude on the Allies' parts, it was a different story for West Germany. God put those two nations back together at the collapse of the wall. People forget because the news doesn't tell us this anymore. There was prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting all through Central Europe that was taking place two or three years before that wall came down. People were seeking God. That was an answer to prayer. People today who are trying to stop the preaching of the gospel and want to, to saturate your children with everything but the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're working against God. They're piling their sins up. Romans 1.18 says that God will show his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And I think anybody that in the name of the church, with a cross hanging around their neck or whatever robes they want to wear, that will tell you, contrary to the word of God, and call evil good and call good evil, these are people that are piling up their sins. Zechariah chapter 11, 6, I'll remind you again, the Lord says, I will no longer have pity on the people of the land. I will let them fall into each other's hands and into the hands of their king, and they will turn the land into a wilderness. Even the land suffers. Even nature suffers when people like this. So let me just give you a few quick things here, and boy, we're out of time. When we reject the Lord as a nation or as a church, we open ourselves up to exploitation by leaders. By leaders. Hitler was a leader. He was a charismatic person. He was able to persuade people to do things. Caesar was a leader. Let no one... Herod was a leader. Let no one fool you. These guys were leaders. Rejecting the Lord even opens up the door to other people exploiting us that aren't necessarily leaders. And then rejecting the Lord opens the door to the exploitation of nature. And then most frightening of all, rejecting the Lord results in us ultimately being abandoned by Christ. So let me encourage you tonight, treasure Christ supremely in your life. Follow his word. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field and in his excitement. He hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Would you look at me for just a second? Online, listen as well. Would you give up everything? Would you give up everything to follow Christ? Would you be willing to lay down your life? Would you be willing to lay down your children's lives? Because in the world today, there are men and women who call their children back and say, do not dishonor the name of the Lord. Come and stand boldly and die for your Savior today. And then people are martyring believers today in other countries. This is happening in our world today because they treasure Christ supremely. When this life is over and it is only a vapor, and I say that as a man getting close to 70, this life is only a vapor. I, I, today I was even thinking how quickly life goes by. I'm so glad that Jesus is not only my savior, he's my Lord. So what do we do with this? Jesus not only suffered and died, but he did it to save us from our sin.
I've put the verses there. I'm out of time, so let me go through this quickly. Jesus not only brings comfort to us, but he brings discipline to us. The discipline of the Lord is good for us. And I've given you a couple of verses there that you can look at. Actually, I gave you three. And then I want us as a church to boldly express God's love, God's grace, and God's acceptance. That's what I see. God's loving the people by not letting them continue. And then I want to close it with this. I want to be the kind of pastor, and I believe that I am. I'm, I'm looking you right in the eye. I want to be the kind of pastor, and I truly believe that I am, that can say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. I believe that with all my heart as God is my witness. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If I follow any other example, don't follow me. But as long as I follow Christ, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer or pastor desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his family or pay attention, be, love his family well, see that his children obey him, and do it in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace into the devil's trap. How do I do this? How do you do this? The first of all, this is not only good advice for leaders, this is good advice for men and women, period. But how do I, humility is the key. I had to learn to follow before I could become a leader. And leaders have to be humble and then followers have to be humble. Secondly, self-examination. Every single day doing what Jesus says praying, searching our hearts, and not just saying, forgive me of my sins, but if there are any sins, and I kind of humorously alluded to that last week and this past Sunday morning when the Lord stirred a little water in my heart, and I realized, you know, there was some anger there I had to confess. My wife's evaluation, listen, you know me. We've been together 23 years. You know me, but nobody knows me like Becky knows me, <laughs> and nobody is quicker to call me up than Becky is quicker to call me up, and and talk to me. So I trust and I lean into her counsel. My mentors, my colleagues, our pastoral team and deacons, I look to them to help me walk humbly before the Lord. So Zechariah 11, it's a dense, dense chapter. Read it, meditate upon it, see how it was fulfilled in the New Testament, understand the warnings that were given to Jerusalem and Israel are the same warnings that I believe are being given to our nation today. Remember our own history as a nation. This nation was established because of people who wanted the freedom to worship God without government interference, freedom to express themselves, freedom to build families, freedom to create a life for themselves, freedom to follow God according to dictates of their conscience, and also freedom if you didn't want to worship God, that you were free to do that. But our laws were built upon the scriptures. Second thing, remember, is as America began to prosper, we forgot God. Jonathan Edwards wrote a lot about this. Other preachers wrote a lot about it. And our nation was divided. We lost the favor and we lost the union for a while. And then we went through the bloodiest war and more people died in that war than any other war since, if I understand my history correctly, as God put our nation back together 
we've experienced another great revival that started in the 1800s. And today I submit to you, America and the church need another move of the Holy Spirit. Let us not count Jesus cheaply. He is the greatest treasure of our hearts. God bless you. Thanks so much for watching tonight. Good night.